Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer, and today our first guest is A's starter Frankie Montas, who will talk to us about how he's matured as a pitcher, including his long-ago run-ins with teammate Chris Bassett over his work ethic, plus his development of the splitter and his relationship with Edwin Jackson. Then on Feldy's Follies, David Feldman and I will talk about the A's hot streak and what it means, as well as the decision to let Fernando Rodney go. All of that next on A's Plus. Our guest today on A's Plus Podcast is Frankie Montas, the A's starter who's kind of having a breakthrough season. Um, Frankie, talk to us a little bit about, about your season and, and how do you feel like things are going? Because it, it looks kind of from you know the outside to observers, like you've really sort of figured something out about yourself. Uh, I'm in a fit game, you know, um, just God blessing me, and you know, um, man, just, just trying to continue working hard and uh, um, trying to improve every every day, just trying to get better, trying to learn something for from uh, every star. Now you picked up a split finger. Obviously, that's been a little bit of a um, difference for you. Who Did somebody suggest that? How did the split finger come about? Um, I remember last year we were in Detroit, and... Um, Emo kind of like was trying to like help me out to trying to get a changeup. Uh, well, I never really had a, like a good changeup, so like I was like, okay, I need something slow. I need something slow, and then um, we kind of like he like introduced me to the splitter one day, and then uh, I don't, I was not really serious about it. Like I was, I, I was like, okay, like splitter, like cool. But um, till like this spring training, that was when I really started throwing it. Was there a, like did you have the grip down, or was it just a matter of getting used to throwing it? Uh, well, I I had a like good grip for it, but like like I said, I was not really like interested in like like throwing the splitter. But like once I started throwing it in spin training, and like I started seeing like like results right away, I was like, okay, this is something I can throw. It seems like the whole um, rotation right now is starting to click. All five of you guys are pitching really well, and uh, especially the young guys in the rotation, you and Bassett and Mengden, uh, appeared like you're all kind of taking big strides, like pitching at the next level. Does it seem like that to you? Yeah, I feel like like all of us three, especially like me, Mengden, and Bassett, like of course, like we we're the youngest, but. Um, we like, like I said, we're learning from from uh, fires and Anderson. We're just trying to um, trying to get as much information that we can, and uh, um, so we can improve our pitching. Uh, I, when I talked to Daniel Mingdon last week, he told me a guy who had been really helpful to him in his career was Edwin Jackson. Has there been an older starter for you that has really been helpful in helping you learn to pitch? Uh, last year it was it was Jackson. He 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 always trying to um, even he he still messaged me to that day every after uh, um, after every start uh, start he messaged me he said hey good job like uh, the splitter was working uh, or the slider whatever he said just just keep doing your thing you know uh, keep working hard never give up and uh, um, I think he he was like one of the guys that kind of like helped me to kind of like grow up. It's amazing. But we talked in spring training at one point, and you told me when you were a kid you didn't even like baseball. You just kind of were doing it because your friends did it. Is that is that right? When growing up in the Dominican? Yeah, I mean, I was I was not like a huge baseball fan to be honest. Um, I was like into school a lot, but um, my dad always wanted me to play baseball. But like I was I was one of the guys that'd be like, 
yeah, okay, go to the field and, like, play. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I will. And then I would just stay home and chill. But um, one of my friends, um, he started going. He Well, he used to play. And then um, I used to, like, to go with him just to ride his motorcycle. And um, I don't know, after that, I kind of, like, saw that I, like, I was like, okay, this is something I can do. You know, like, I would kind of, like, fall in, love, like, fall in love with it, like, just slowly and slowly. You... Are, are known as a hard thrower, and particularly when you were young and coming up, you you know, people knew that you could throw 100. Could you always throw hard? Like when you first started playing with your friends, did they go like, oh, wow, you, you throw super hard? Um, kind of. I was like one of the youngest, but um, they, were, they would throw like, like 90, 92, and like I was like 88, 86, but like, but like, I was like 15, so like they were like, okay, like, you know, like he throws really hard, but um, I don't know, like I always throw hard, but like I always um, want people that know me like for a pitcher, not just for a hard thrower. Um, right. Well, that's been an evolution for you, as you know, as you kind of matured. When I talked to Chris Bassett the other day, uh, and he mentioned that when you guys were in the White Sox system, he said you guys kind of butted heads a few times because yeah. he said he thought that you, your work ethic was something. Uh, he's like the talent was totally there. He wanted to see you working a little harder. Was that something you had to learn to do? Yeah, I feel like I mean I had a good arm always, and um, I don't I don't really was one of the guys that I'm like like okay I'm a I'm a hard like I'm a work hard I'm a I'm a like work for stuff like people like not a lot of people can throw hard you know like they have to work for it like I was gifted yeah and then I don't I don't really learn how to take advantage of that and. Um, I feel like, like a couple of years from now, I kind of like start relying on like, okay, you need to work on your, on your stuff. You need to try to get better, and like I can see better results. Yeah, you were traded a lot too. You were traded three times before you wound up in Oakland. Having been here with this organization now for a few years, how much has that also kind of helped you just settle down and and feel part of an organization and part of a team, and and also mature and have the same coaches and the same direction. I mean, um, it feels good, you know, like, I feel like everybody here, all the coaches trying to just help everybody, you know, and then um, I like that. I feel I feel like um, like part of the team, which is really important for me, especially me, like, being traded a lot. Um, I just, I like to feel, um, like, part of, like, something, you know. And then um, I, I love to play for Bob Melvin. Like, he's, he's one of the best managers I ever had in uh, um like he, he like he trying to help you like as much as he can, and I'm like I always appreciate that, and um, and I'm happy here. Yeah. You're a family man now too. You and your wife have a little boy. Um, how much is that? A lot of people say when they talk about how you've matured over years that that has been huge for you now being a dad. I mean, even not just like at the field, but um, I feel just like in my everyday life, like just. Just trying to take time to play with my son, you know, even if I'm tired. Um, I always try to um, get some time for him and my wife, you know, just just trying to be better as a person. Um, now, your first few years here in Oakland, you were up and down a lot. And whenever the English-speaking media, we talked to you, you always used a translator. And this spring, you suddenly started doing your interviews. And as everyone can hear on the podcast, Frankie's English is pretty much perfect. But you suddenly decided to speak to us in English. Why did you change? And why were you using a translator for so long when your English is so good? I don't know. I was just trying to mess with Fernando first. I was just trying to mess with him. And... Uh, um, 
don't know. I'm 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 not really like to um, like a, like like speak English like in public like that. I don't know. I'm always been like a shy guy, but um, I mean, I I was like okay. I'm gonna I'm try and see how it works, and uh, I, I mean, you guys are amazing too. Like you guys make me feel comfortable, so like I like yeah. Oh, that was my favorite thing that happened all spring. We were like, wait, what? <laughs> this guy should have been talking to us all this time. So we will have to have you back on the podcast again sometime to talk to us more. Thanks so much for joining us today, Frankie Montas. Thank you guys for having me. Our thanks again to Frankie Montas for joining us on A's Plus. We will be back in just a moment with David Feldman. Now we've reached the Feldy Follies segment of the podcast. David Feldman, the official scorer and stats guru, I think we like to call you, joins us uh, to talk about the last actually two weeks uh, in A's land. We haven't talked to you, David, for a while now. So the streak that the A's, uh, what, what are we calling it? Is it a nine-game winning streak going into the Angels series? Is it, t- I've been saying 10 games undefeated, kind of like hockey. Yes. Yeah. What, what, what do you think we, we do with this suspended game and how it impacts the streak? Uh, I do think it's a nine-game winning streak, 10-game unbeaten streak, so maybe a nine-plus streak. Nine-plus. Nine and two-thirds winning streak. <laughs> two-thirds. It's very odd. It's very odd, and it's a statistical anom- anomaly because all these stats count, yeah. and they're going to count for that date. They currently count. They count. They already count. That's why we're the game partially partially matters. It does. Right? Yeah. So, you think about it, it's really it's a nine-game winning streak over the last ten games. Right. Uh, my favorite, correct me if, the, if I'm wrong, but one of the strange things that can happen with a suspended game that is completed much later in the season as the A's May 19th game at Detroit will be finished September 6th. This thing, this could happen. Say the A's call up a player tomorrow who gets his first big league hit and then has another 50, 60 hits, and then on September 6th plays in the completed game, gets another hit, and that's considered his first big league hit. Is that true? It's true. It happened last year with Juan Soto, the Washington Nationals. Oh, my gosh. Juan Soto came up, uh, hit a bomb, his first major league home, everybody goes crazy, and then they started the uh, completion of a suspended game that happened about a month before, and he hits another bomb, and they said, (laughs) Well, now that gets credited for the earlier date. So what's his first home run? Nobody's quite sure. It could happen. Eric Campbell, that's my guy. He's so going to come up. we can turn back time with suspended games. We can. We can change the time. Eric Campbell's going to come up, and he's going to get a base hit, and then he's going to hit a home run on September 6th, and they're not going to go, that's his first hit? Yeah. Yeah, they'll join that list of guys who've homered in their first major league. Major league <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah. And, it's you know, it's kind of cool, though. You think about that day when the A's are going to play the completion of the suspended game and then play the regular game. Now we're talking September, so 40-man rosters, and yeah. everybody's eligible Absolutely. on the roster. So let's say, oh, I don't know, Jarrell Cotton's back. And Jarrell Cotton now can start that suspended game in the bottom of the seventh inning. He only has to go two innings, Ooh. maybe three. He can finish that game out. I like I, it. I mean, just Puck could do that the same yeah. thing. You're going to have a... A busload of pitchers you're going to be able to use, which is nice. And this is the last year of the 40-man roster in September, but it works. Uh, it's going to be strange because the A's will actually be the road team for the end of the suspended game. So that's going to be quite odd. <laughs> what uniforms do they wear? You know, should they wear the gray? I think they maybe they should. It's just going to be a very it's it's going to be an odd but unique baseball experience. It will be. Now, a couple people have mentioned the obviously the 20-game winning streak, the franchise record. What happens if they start to get close to that now, or say match it? now and then they have they per, per chance lose that september 6th completion 
That, yeah. would, that would all be very weird. That would be weird. All of a sudden, that, that's over. You don't have a 20-game winning streak <laughs> anymore. You had a three-game winning streak and a loss, and then you won 15 in a row, 16 in a row. 17, it's yeah. very yeah. odd. Yeah, so, um, yeah, let's, I guess maybe that's a good, that would be a good problem to have anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if they win another 10 in a row, that would be a very good problem for the A's to have. So, David, to you, what is the difference right now from the A's that what we were not seeing in April and maybe the first week of May? We're seeing starting pitching going longer into games and being more effective, and we're seeing home runs up and down the lineup. And we've talked about this pretty much all year for the A's to be successful. Um, they are going to have to hit, hit home runs, but starting pitching is where it's going to be at, and they have to get deep into games because you can't blow out your bullpen. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of April and the first part of May, that was happening. But now you're seeing starters go six and seven innings and only giving up two or three runs. You're shortening the bullpen, what they need to do, and they're doing their job. And for the A's, you know, when they were six, seven games under 500, we talked about winning series. And that's what they've done now. Now they've gone to the extreme because they've gone to this winning streak, which is even better. But playing good baseball, winning series. Uh, the two games in Seattle were frustrating. Uh, games, especially one of them, they should have won. You hope they don't look back on those games. But but they're doing what they need to do to win, and they're beating up on lesser teams. Another thing that we've talked about before, win the games you're supposed to win. Absolutely. And yeah. they're doing it. So pitching, home runs, and doing what they need to do. It's, it's been nice to see. And now in the division, we'll see against the Angels, but they obviously they had trouble against Seattle in the first portion of the year, the two losses in Japan, and then those two really close losses in, in Seattle. Uh, and they felt like... They wanted a little payback. Bob Melvin said those games did not sit with, a, with well with us. And then they came out and, you know, they kind of breezed through that series against Seattle. You know, and that's what they, they should have done. Because Seattle, they got off to the tremendous start. And they were hitting home runs every day and they were winning games. But this is reality. And that's what baseball does, right? Over games, over games, it makes what's going to happen is supposed to happen. And Seattle, we remember talking to Japan, looking out at that team going, this is not a good baseball team. Right. And they are not. And the, <laughs> and the A's took advantage of that and really boast, boat raced them through the three games and took care of business. Um, hopefully they continue to do that. Uh, how big a factor is Matt Olson's return? Because to me, he's starting to put together like that kind of, remember the Ioannis Cespedes, the team record with, without? Anytime he was on the DL, they suddenly stopped playing well. And anytime he was in the lineup, they would start winning. Matt Olson says, now he played in all 162 last year. So, and they played well. He was up the previous September. They had that great September. Uh, and then he missed uh, essentially all of April, a little bit of May. He comes back and they go on essentially a winning streak. No doubt it is a huge factor. And both sides of the ball. Defensively, the confidence that he gives infielders I don't think you can put a number on it because they know anything close to first base he's going to gobble up. You know, Chapman's usually chest high, not an issue. But for Profar and Simeon, who have had their issues in the past, and we've seen the difference in Profar. He's now firing the ball over there. And he even knows if that ball comes up short, Olsen's picking it. So improving the infield defense, check. In the lineup, now you're a factor. You're a left-handed big swinger who can power the ball out of the park, but you're also taking your bun hits when you need to, and you're also you're, you're seeing him hit singles. So this is a, a factor offensively, and he, he lengthens the lineup. You know, Kendrick Morales, when he was here, did the best he could, and he hit the ball hard, and we've talked about that, yeah. but he wasn't getting the results. Same thing's happening with the Yankees. I was looking at some stat cast issues, and he's still his expected OPS, and those numbers are still the best in the league, and yet he's hitting 199. Yeah, poor guy, man. 
Maybe he needs to learn to do the bunt singles, <laughs> like Matt singles. Olson could teach him to do that. Yeah, uh, Matt Olson, we, we talked about this before he came back, like maybe don't expect too much. He's coming off a hand injury. Sometimes guys lose a little power. We, you know, it takes can take months. Marcus Simeon has talked about it. it took him more than a year to get really the power back in his wrist when he had the broken wrist. Uh, there, uh, the hamate fractures tend to lend themselves on occasion to loss of power. We're not seeing that. Matt Olson looks just fine. He looks just fine. It looks like nothing ever happened. Yeah. And I mean, he's talked about it too, that everyone warned him about this lack of power. And, oh, you're, you're not gonna be the same. You're not gonna have that same wrist action. Everything's fine. And he's hammering the ball. Maybe it's the way his swing is too, because he kind of has a little bit of a longer swing than you see. It's not much of a wrist swing. And he just looks good. It looks like he hasn't missed any time, which I'm shocked by. I thought it was gonna take him a while to adjust because remember, spring training was shortened. Then you play the game and the plus in, in Japan and that was it for another month. It's pretty, pretty remarkable what he's doing. Now, the A's have made two um, interesting decisions um, recently. Um, one of them sort of kind of almost had to be made for them. Um, that You know, I understand the instinct when Chris Davis is hurting as he, you know, he obviously had the, the hip and sort of side issue after running into the wall in Pittsburgh. The A's kind of, I think they felt they, w they were worth, it was worth the trade-off. Get him in the lineup, you know, four or five days a week, maybe give him a couple days off when needed, and that hip just wasn't getting better, and they finally realized, okay, we're just going to have to shut him down for a while. What did you think of that decision? Did it come maybe too late? Should they have shut him down initially? Or do you think, like, hey, you know, it's Chris Davis we're talking about. If you can get him in the lineup more often than not, maybe it's worth it. Yeah, I think that's obviously the prevailing thought. You don't want to lose him for those 10 days. But my perspective with this being so early in the season and it's only 10 days – I think you're better off as soon as that happened. It looked like he hit that rail hard. He did. Um, you know what? Shut him down for 10 days, and you get him back as completely healthy as you can, and it's early in the year. Now, if we're talking August, different different situation. Right. I think we're also talking different situation if we're a four-man bench. Right. Yes, definitely. You can hide a guy that way and maybe use him just in certain situations, but with a three-man bench, you can't have a guy who's not available. You know, They brought him back. They sat him. He came back in the Seattle game, hit the two home runs. We thought, oh, everything's fine. Then you can see in his swing the next night, it was not the same. They still try to stretch it out. Maybe, hopefully this doesn't linger longer because of trying to work him back. Hindsight's obviously easy. I get it. I just think injuries early in the season, shut him down. It's only 10 days. It's not the 15 like it used to be. I think they would have been better off there. Well, and he made it hard on him because even though he wasn't, you know, he said he felt like he's, he lost the power in his swing. He was still getting on base. He was driving in runs. Um, you know, actually, you know, really performing very well except for in the the power category but as that the kind of lingering issue went on and on it looked like he was more and more uncomfortable yeah. swinging the bat so uh as i said kind of the decision made for them but I'm, I'm glad i mean the fact that they did not actually put him on the dl that last game in cleveland even with skybolt <laughs> there i thought what is going to show up in this guy's mri <laughs> that's going to make you think no we won't put him on the dl so i don't know that that one was the one weird day for me sure especially with skybolt already there but uh, you know, okay, it was one game. They won. They seem to be doing fine either <laughs> yeah, way, exactly. so whatever. I guess it's Matt Olson is the key and not Chris Davis is what we're learning, which Matt Chapman had told me a couple of weeks ago. He said, hey, when, you know, when I was out last year, the team just kept That's winning, right. totally fine. Olson's on the DL, on the IL, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we can't, we can't win a game. So um, the other decision, we, you and I have spent a lot of time this year talking about Fernando Rodney and what are they going to do with him. 
I was uh, firmly convinced from talks with people in and around the team that they were willing to take their time. They felt like they had picked up that pretty pricey option, 4.25 million for a reason, and that uh, they felt good about him pitching, say, the seventh inning role or, you know, with a decent lead or behind, you know, several runs. Uh, but they finally did decide to to cut cut their losses, I guess, and, and uh, let Fernando Rodney go. What'd you think? I thought it was the 100% correct decision. I didn't think you could pitch him anymore. Yeah. Every time he went out there, he gave up runs. Um, and we just we saw with Santiago Casilla last year the same thing, and they held on to him to July. You just can't pitch him. I mean, you're going to have a situation where you're only going to throw him in if you're down by a huge margin or up by a huge margin. And even when you put him in when you're up by a huge margin, as we saw earlier this week, that wasn't good. Yeah. He gives up runs, and now you got to get somebody else up. Um, it's just it's too much of a strain on the team. And every time he goes out there, it's a strain on the team because you don't know what you're going to get. I think for Fernando Rodney, I think he can still pitch for somebody. I oh, really absolutely. do. Absolutely, maybe a team down in the di division somewhere. Yeah, and I think the A's are going to end up paying for him to pitch for another team. Oh yeah. And I hope it's not Detroit, and he comes back and he saves that suspended game, and he actually <laughs> saves a game. That, that's very odd. <laughs> that would be too weird, David. You're making my, my mind explode right now. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I I thought that they might wait until June or July, like they did with Casilla. Obviously, they had a long history with Casilla, and he was you know a big favorite for everyone. But, you know, Rodney was a le real leader in the bullpen, and a couple of the relievers have said, you know, we're really sorry to see him go. Everybody, you know, the guy has a 9-9 nine, nine ERA, so yeah. I don't think it's it's too stunning. But um, they did move uh, sooner rather than later, which I which I think is good. Anything else that's kind of jumped out to you lately here with the, with the Oakland A's? You know, maybe it's under the radar a little bit, but the defense overall, and they were a good defensive team last year, but now with Profar – playing to where they think he can play in the double play turn against Seattle on Sunday. Uh, it is really solid. Yeah. And no matter what outfielders are playing out there, whether it's Sky Bolt or Mark Canna, um, they're making plays. Uh, it's just been solid. You're not, they're not beating themselves, yeah. especially in those last two weeks. Um, the catching has gotten better. Oh, my gosh. The production they're getting from that nine spot is extraordinary. Extraordinary. Um, you know, and Hundley – Finally back to the role that he was with with the Giants the last couple of years where he only has to catch once or twice a week. And now when he plays, he's productive. And Fegley is just this RBI machine. And we don't know where this is coming from, but ride it out as long as you can. So the defense and the catching production, uh, it's something – I knew the defense was going to be good. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it is. Uh, Jed Lowry, you think about what he did the last two years at second base. Uh, he was really solid. Really solid, and that was not his reputation. No, unfairly so. Well, when he was, you know, with the shortstop when he was here the first time with right. the A's, especially in 2014, by the end he had no range no at short, range. Yeah. and he had the bad feet, and he got that fixed. You know, he pretty much missed a whole season there, getting healthy, and it really paid off in the last two years. It's sad to see Jed Lowry now the situation with the Mets. Uh, first he had a knee, now it's a hamstring, and it's who? Sad to see the Mets. Period. How about our friend Yoenis Cespedes oh. with a broken ankle and out for the season again, and. Fell, fell off something on his ranch. He fell off. He, he stepped in a hole. Stepped in a hole. Fell off. Was not. Did not fall off a horse. They were very specific about that, which <laughs> yes. makes me wonder. Did he fall off a horse? I'm pretty sure he fell off a horse. Uh, was he washing the horse? Was that a Jeff Kent motorcycle <laughs> truck situation. thing? Uh, very. Uh, but how about Mets are winning though. Mets are back over yeah. 500. That's a, that's a team dysfunctional <laughs> thing over there. As always, I am glad I don't cover the Mets. Yeah, no, I, I'm loving the defense. My biggest concern coming into the season, bar none, was the catching. And, I, I mean, I could not have been more wrong. Um, now, 
Jonathan Lucroy provided a level of leadership, and I think his um, rapport with starting pitchers was uh, really exemplary. But I, you know, Josh Fegley is coming along in those areas, and his arm is fantastic. And Nick Hundley, you know, is as you mentioned, really an ideal backup catcher. Now, Chris Herman's actually making some strides base running. I think he'll probably be going be going on a rehab assignment soon. I'm not sure where he fits in at this point. If these two keep producing that the way they are, I really like them as a Tana. Maybe you want a left-handed hitter, but now that Olsen's back, you know, do you need, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I kind of, I wouldn't mess with things at this point. No, not at all. It's just, it's just security at this point. You know, they picked up uh, a catcher, a former Cal catcher that's playing down in, Sac- in Las Vegas now. Uh, why is it? Cameron Rupp. There's, so we got a little bit of um, depthness now there, but, but Herman, hopefully you can stash him yeah. at Las Vegas, somebody you need. Again, it's so hard with a three-man bench to have players who are so one-dimensional. I hate the three-man bench. I really do. I don't, you know, Aaron Brooks, I know that uh, he, he certainly has his fans in the A's front office. I'm not I'm not sure at this point if he, he's out of options, obviously, um, but I'm not sure if you DFA him uh, how many takers they're going right. to be. Right. I mean, maybe. And if there is, who, who cares? Yeah, he, I'm not sure that he is doing much as, as sort of the quote-unquote long man in the bullpen or how much we see him, especially on a team that's playing well. You yeah. know, there hasn't been much need for one, so it's kind of a wasted roster spot right now when you you could maybe have a play around with things and, and do more with, uh, you know, your bench. How many times have we seen, especially over the last 20 years, guys who are out of options and they stick with them and you go, why? Why? If yeah. you lose them, is it any – this is a replacement-level player. Right. So you should be able to replace them pretty easily and you're not really giving anything right. up to let them go. Right. I, I, too and many a team times. that's always trying to find every little tiny advantage, right sure, Right now I'm not sure that Aaron Brooks is providing any like t- small advantage. And Nothing against him. No. He, you know, he pitched well at times. He certainly has ability. Um, but I, you know, I think they do have some other people, and they're going to start getting some of right. these starters back um, really quickly. Um, since we're probably going a little overtime here, but um, Jarrell Cotton uh, is obviously on a rehab assignment, fairly close to maybe being ready to come back if he's performing well. Bob Melvin is pretty clear. You know, these guys aren't just going on the roster right, right away when they come back. But he suggested something we talked about, I think, a couple weeks ago: Jarrell Cotton and maybe AJ Puck coming back in the bullpen, which I think would be fascinating because they only have X amount of innings, as he said, because they're coming off Tommy John surgery. You have them start a few games. They blow through some innings yeah. in the bullpen. Hey, maybe can you see Jarrell Cotton with that changeup and A.J. Puck left-handed with dominating stuff in the bullpen maybe down the stretch? What do you think? I, I like it because, as we saw last year, um, and especially with the starting staff, that you're not sure what you're going to get as the season goes on. Now, think about if we can shorten their innings and make the game shorter by bringing in Cotton and Puck. You know how deep the A's bullpen got in September last yeah. year, right, with Juris Familia and Rodney, who's pitching well, to go with Trinan and to go with Trevino. So now you're turning it into a five-inning game. You could do the same thing if you have Cotton and Puck in your bullpen. And, as you said, they're not going to be able to pitch that many innings. Um, you're going to have to rehab them. And that's going to, you know, as this is going on, that's, that's taking its toll. And really, to get back from Tommy John, even in the best situation, it's usually the second it's year, the second year. Yeah. when you become a pitcher again. So I think it's smart, and it can really behoove the A's and be successful using them in that way. Yeah. Um, I kind of love it. Yeah. Do you use them as an opener, or do you like them coming strictly out of the pen in like matchup situations or starting a clean inning? What do you think? I'm not a huge opener guy, to be honest with you, just because of the rhythm of the game and the way it works. 
I can see him doing that, but I don't mind him coming in starting the sixth inning. If you have a pitcher who's gotten you through five, let's say Brett Anderson as we go through the year, he gets through five solid, and then you can bring in a guy like Cotton who looks totally different totally than different, Brett Anderson yeah. Yeah. and can get one or two innings out of him to bridge that gap. Um, that's what I like. Right. Or you got Daniel Mengden who goes through five or six, and then yeah. you can bring in A.J. Puck who yeah. looks totally different. Totally different. Yeah. And, again, yeah, shortening like the game. Yeah. Um, and again, these guys have to earn their way back. Um, but we know the talent that they have. Uh, I think you mentioned this in a story you wrote with Sean Manaya. I think he's different. Yeah, definitely. I think he's a starting pitcher, and that's how and, he's going to be rehabbed to be. And he's he deserves it, too. Yeah. And, it, you know, he's not coming off Tommy John. It's a, from what I understand, a relatively um, – there's no such thing as a minor shoulder injury or, right. so, or sh- shoulder surgery. Um, but relatively speaking, uh, it was not significant damage. So I think they feel like he can come back. And, and obviously he was the ace of the staff. Yeah. He deserves to come back. Yeah, he should be a starter. I, I think that's what um, – so that will be a different question for a different time. But, yeah, I kind of I like the idea of Jarrell and A.J. Puck in the bullpen. So this year, you know, last year at the, at the trade deadline, they went out and got a bunch of relievers. This year maybe they just get a bunch of relievers off the injured list. Off the injured list. And, and Jesus Lazardo has to be mentioned in there too because yeah. what he reminds me of is 2008 David Price. Yep. 2008 David Price came up with the Tampa Bay Rays as a reliever and they knew he was going to be a short reliever. Much like Chris Sale with the White Sox when right. he first came up was going to be a short reliever. And that's again, we don't know what Lazardo's progression is going to be now once he starts throwing. But you think come August and September, if you can get one or two solid innings out of him yeah. again, if he's as good as he's been made out to be, and we saw it in spring training, he probably oh, is that good. This stuff is phenomenal. Just and you, phenomenal. And think about the experience that he can get and look what it did for yeah. David Price. Yeah. David Price got the save in Game 7 of the ALCS yeah. in 2008. This could be Jesus Lizardo on the mound I doing like the it. same thing. Oh, I hope we were talking about this in a couple of months. That sounds fun. <laughs> David Feldman, as always, thanks for joining us on Ace Plus. We will talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Susan. Our thanks, as always, to David Feldman for joining us regularly on A's Plus. Our producers today were King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. We will be back later in the week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter, at Susan Slusser. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe.